There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to another episode of the Element Podcast. What's happening on the woods, people? Currently, I'm sitting in the woods, but I'm not hunting or fishing. Um, I'm sitting in a truck. And my co-pilot, who's currently on his lunch break, an extended lunch break, Mr. Casey Smith, is flying a plane over here. (laughs) And that's no joke. What's happening, dude? I'm glad Jet leaves me... uh... Uh, little toys to play with in in your vehicle. Yeah. Whenever we're in here, keeps me uh, keeps me busy on these long road trips that we take. So yeah. It's yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, besides that, just uh, I'm pretty hungry right Dude, now. Dude, me too. The and the reason why <laughs> that we're extra hungry is a, it's past my lunchtime. Yeah. But b, uh, we just did an incredible interview with Mr. Jesse Griffiths from a restaurant down in Austin, Texas. I don't know if he was at. His first or second restaurant, but he said he was at a restaurant. He's at the second one. He second went to the second one. The Takiera. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, Jesse is an author, a chef, an outdoorsman. So as an author, he has a book called A Field. Um, and that's one word. A Chef's Guide to Preparing and Cooking Wild Fish and Game. Um, he was a finalist for the James Beard Award, which is really? pretty awesome. Um, and he founded a, a, a restaurant down there in Austin that's based off of uh, like kind of you know, the locavore movement, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about this. He's also been on uh, Bizarre Foods, I believe. With your hero. I think that's where I originally saw him. Yeah. With my hero. And uh, and so anyway, this guy is like, he's done it, man. Um, and we did an interview with him. And there was like some kind of weird monster effect in there <laughs> or something during one part. But like there was, a, there was a, if, I don't know, you might have to excuse the audio a little bit for a section there if you notice it. If not, don't even think about it. Recently, 
We went on a squirrel hunt. We did. What was that all? Which turned into a rabbit hunt. And then a shed hunt. And, and then, then a shed hunt. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then a buck bed hunt. Yeah. And then, yeah. So as most of our postseason outdoor adventures go, <laughs> uh, we start to key in on one thing and then gradually drift towards the whitetails. It's just who we are. But we got a lot of the other stuff done, too. Yeah. We pretty much did it all. You were the squirrel spotting master. Dude, I feel good. Dude, I was, I was impressed. It was like that one time this summer when I when I was like, dude, hey, how about the spot? Like, I'm looking at it on a map, and there should be bucks bedding here and using, you know, going up to the uh, doe bedding, and then we saw bucks from the road. It was kind of the same thing. Because, yeah. like, when I spot things and, and you haven't spotted them yet, it's amazing. <laughs> It never happens, hardly. <laughs> I think part of it was I already like mentally switched over to looking yeah. down low. Well, I know, the, I know the second one. Yeah. you were kind of that way already mm-hmm. for sure. But uh, you did do a good job on spotting some squirrels, and maybe too I was thinking rabbits. So, Dude, you got into rabbit I, mode, like I, rabbit raging mode. Yeah, I got the rabbit. So you weren't about it at first. No, I like I like squirrel better than I do rabbit. But yep. rabbits are kind of more fun to shoot because they're fast. Dude, we had some fun doing yeah. that. Yeah, it was cool. I, I did get a enema from a cedar tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know yep. what that is really. So get know. out, get out, find your uh, local public brush pile and <laughs> jump on it, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, stone or two rabbits with one jump. But uh, don't do it during snake season. Yeah, don't do it during snake season. You can uh, get a friendly clean out from a cedar bush <laughs> like Tyler, <laughs> or you can also run a rabbit out and smoke him. That's or you can shoot a tree like I did when the rabbit <laughs> ran out. They, they were, he, this sucker came running out so fast, you know, like the they rabbits came do. Out fast, man. And uh, it was not like I'm going to go and then stop and look back and then go. Mm-hmm. It was, I'm gone. And so he takes off through these like cedar elms and cedar trees. And he was going straight away. He was only like 15 yards when I finally got up on him. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, way too thick in there yeah. and i just blasted the yeah, cedar yeah we could see tree. like the hole through where he shot through <laughs> yeah. the trees yeah so but. that was fun though we killed uh we killed a rabbit mm-hmm. a fox squirrel mm-hmm. a cat squirrel mm-hmm. and you found a shed found a shed man teenager shed my, my, i don't know <laughs> the first I'm telling uh, you i'm convinced the first shed of 2018 you know i've never done well with sheds in Anywhere around that I go, except for South Texas. But last year, I had a great shed season. And mm. this year, looking pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be out as much as I was last year to right. find as many. But uh, I was pretty cool. I was pretty pumped to find that one. I mean, it literally had like one inch of time sticking up out of the leaves. Dude, like, it, it was, was just a happen chance, though. Like, it just... It, I, I just... There's no way I should have found the thing, except I was like looking at the ground right there. And I was like, huh? Yeah. We were we had got into whitetail scouting mode yeah. at this point, not not shed hunting. We were scouting for deer sign, and we get into this area where there is um, two rubs, I think, mm-hmm. and one of them was good. Two good rubs, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we're like, man, this is there's a lot of edge habitat here. This is definitely a transition area, even though as usual in Texas, um, at least in the parts that we hunt. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't see a trail, yeah. <laughs> really. It's just like, oh, well, there's a lane there. They, they might, they might move through. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, anyway, we're sitting there. We we're talking about. We're like, well, maybe we should hang a camera here. What do you think? And we had picked one up, a camera that we had in the area, and uh, we were going to put it out. And and so this is why squirrel. Me finding these squirrels is such a big deal. Because we're like, okay, let's put a camera out right on that tree over there. And we start to step in case he's like, oh, there's a shed. And it looks like 
I mean, literally like an inch of baby tine sticking out of the leaves. You know, it's like one of those things that just, I, I would have just walked right over it, you know, but it was a good find. It's cool. I was pumped. Late point shed from probably like a one-year-old buck. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's real old too. So, you know, it's, it's chewed, been up. chewed up a lot, which yeah. a lot of times I'd, I'd either rather find them and it would be sad, I guess, if it was a big one, but like a brand new brown that's big. I like that. But I also like the really old ones for some reason. It's kind of been chewed on mm. and stuff. They're just kind of like neat, you know. Every shade kind of tells a story. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess uh last thing I'd mention before we go to the interview is that uh, the pint night that we have coming up, yep. BHA, Texas BHA Pine Night, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, where we're doing a live podcast. Um, and we're going to be doing that with our buddies from Stormwater Creek. And we're going to get to see all our buddies from Texas BHA that we haven't seen in a while since basically when I jacked. So mm-hmm. uh, released and uh, or not released, but the tour came through. And so that was uh, that's exciting for us. Uh, but don't forget that it starts at 2 p.m. on a Saturday, uh, February 17th. Um, and it is at the Legal Draft Beer Company there in Arlington. I haven't ever been there, but I hear that it's a pretty cool setup in there. Sweet. Um, And they've got, I guess, like some of those big copper machines and stuff working in there, I guess. Uh, That's what I hear. Yeah. I may be spreading (laughs) false statements here. Yeah, so come on Saturday and figure it out for yourself. You have to fact check. Yeah, Yeah, fact check that. Personally fact check. (laughs) Fact check. So anyway, uh, I guess that's about all we have to plug here, and we will get to the interview with Jesse Griffiths. So did you grow up in Austin? No, I didn't. I grew up in North Texas, um, in Denton. Oh, okay. Um, and I, but I've lived in Austin for, uh, pushing 20 years now though. Yeah. Um, but I just spent uh, most of my time growing up in Denton, a little bit in Fort Worth and then down here in central Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, did you, have you pretty much hunted all over the state? You spent some time hunting up in the Denton area and such? Not really. Yeah. Um, I, I started hunting a lot later in life uh, than most. I, I've fished since I can remember, but mm-hmm. I, I just started hunting probably about 11 years ago uh, after I'd moved down to Austin. So the majority of my hunting has is, is been done uh, in Central Texas, South Texas. Um, no, I haven't really been back up to Denton that much. I know it's it's really good up there as far as ducks go. And I saw a picture of some buck that a guy poached. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we saw it too. It's a yeah. giant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I missed Denton. Growing up around Denton was was amazing. They were just filling Lake Ray Roberts when I was uh, basically, you know, uh, first able to drive. And so as they filled that lake up, we'd go out there and and we, we caught so many fish in the first few years that that lake was, was filling, you know, white bass, crappie, mm-hmm. catfish, um, largemouth, everything. It was, it was a good time. Oh, I can imagine. We, uh, we grew up out here on Lake Fork. I don't know if you know where that is. Definitely. Yeah. So big, big largemouth country. And, yeah. uh. You're not supposed to eat them, according to culture, you know. But uh, ooh, I'm gonna make some people real mad today. <laughs> hey, not me at all. We no. we have eaten them, and I'll I don't know if that makes people mad or not, but I'll admit to it. It's a uh, it's pretty oh, good fish. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the little ones, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to eat yeah. you know the the ten pounders that are apparently everywhere that I can't catch. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, well, that's cool, man. I, I uh, it's good that we share some similar roots there. I guess. Um, so, uh, you were saying that you didn't really grow up hunting. Um, you know, 
what has that done for your appreciation for the outdoors and also just, uh, you know, your stance on being able to harvest your own food essentially? Well, you know, I, I always, I loved fishing. I love, and every excuse to be outside when I was growing up, um, and then uh, working in restaurants put me in front of food a lot and then learning to butcher, things like that. And it kind of eventually just evolved into really wanting to hunt. Uh, went on the, you know, for the first time and absolutely uh, took to it. And I don't think I've bought meat in over six years now. Wow. That's um, cool. I will say it also, it helps when you own a butcher shop. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but it, you know, just having that connection to it, um, it has been really nice. And then it kind of fills out the year, I mean, between fishing and, and hunting. And so, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, I think it's, it also has given me a really good perspective as far as people that are new to hunting. And we do a lot of, uh, besides the restaurants, we take a lot of people on, uh, hunting trips. We call them hunting schools, uh, where we take people out and show them start to finish how to, how to, you know, shoot, clean, butcher, cook, store, package, everything, animals and fish. And I think having a perspective of coming to it um, as an adult has been very helpful in me being able to educate people who are coming to it as adults as well, because there's a lot of new hunters out there. I mean, it's um, hunting has kind of lost its uh, redneck sheen that it had for so long, (laughs) appropriately being uh, viewed as a as a way of, of, of getting food and, mm-hmm. um, and coming to it later on, especially in the Austin market. Um, I've, I've been able to, you know, kind of convey that, you know, like, Oh, this is, you know, it's like having a garden, you know, it's, it's part of it. You know, you can have chickens for eggs, you have a garden, grow some vegetables, go shoot a deer. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of, I mean, it's not the same shooting a deer is probably the most fun, but uh, they're, they're all they're all connected, and I think people are starting to see it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad that you're trying to perpetuate that too. You know, I I see that trend a little bit too. You know, we're not near as urban, so we're just not around as many people, and not around as many you know urbanites to for, so people who kind of. I guess grasp that would be going for that different direction. We kind of live in that redneckville you're talking about to where like hunting has just been culture and always has been. So it's cool to see it coming from the other direction. Um, you talked about, you know, I guess you fished for forever, uh, but you came to hunting later in life uh, as a pursuit, I guess, from for, you know, better, more quality ingredients. Uh, how did you get your start like in the culinary world? Well, I, you know, I started working uh, in general, when I was about, I, I got my first job when I was 14. And then when I was 16, I just signed on to a restaurant. I mean, I just started working there mm-hmm. as a, as a busser. And then I, I mean, I think the best way to put it is I, I never got out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't go to college. I didn't go to culinary school. I just stayed working in restaurants, um, you know, as a, as a waiter, as a bartender, you know, I, I managed and then eventually, you know, I, I, I didn't feel like the front of the house was, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's long hours and lots of cash and it's, it's not the most stable environment. So mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to get into the cooking aspect of it. So I uh, just started working in kitchens and I uh, also did a lot of traveling, um, which I think is a great way to learn about food is go somewhere else and eat their food. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the high deserts of Mexico or Spain, or I mean, even, 
you know, Kentucky, you know, it yeah. just goes somewhere else and eat the food and see what they're doing. And did that a lot. And, um, eventually, you know, we, we built up this business, um, and, and we're able to open our first restaurant, um, and then just open our second. And so I just, I've been in it for a long time. I mean, I absolutely love it. I love, I love food in all its forms. Um, and you know, whether it's, you know, um, a really beautiful vegetable from farm down the road or, or, you know, going out and, and shooting a really fat hog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, uh, the name of your restaurant strikes me as unique. So can you tell us what your restaurant is called and, and how it got that name? I can. I've, I definitely have, have, um, had this conversation. Before. Yeah. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Daidue and Daidue is an Italian are part of an Italian phrase that means from the two kingdoms of nature, choose food with carrots. The first two words of that. And it means from the two. Um, it's, you know, kind of, kind of hard to pronounce. It gets, um, we get a lot of different pronunciations of it. I, I, I think that's enjoyable. It is a conversation starter. Oh, sure. Um, mm-hmm. But basically it just, we're, I, I saw that proverb in a really old Italian cookbook um, years before I opened the business. And I was like, that's it right there. Um, I want to, I want to call it that. And I stuck with that. Yeah, that's cool, cool man. And, uh, effective marketing as well. If you can get people to talk about your name, then, then you're, you're doing good with yeah. that. Uh, right. yeah. So, uh, you know, you talk about going out and shooting wild hogs and, and uh, I've looked at y'all, your menu and been following you on social media for quite a while. And it seems like you serve quite a bit of, of, of wild pork. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And at the new restaurant, the Taqueria, we don't serve any domestic pork at all. Cool. Uh, we are only serving feral hog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that came, well, there was kind of a resurgence um, on our end. Uh, we've always served a lot of um, feral hog at the restaurant, and they're, they're trapped. Um, they're trapped live and brought into a processor. They're inspected mm-hmm. anti-mortem before they're killed and a post-mortem, and then they get that blue texas stamp on them so they're Mm -hmm. all inspected um but i I mean i love the idea of being able to alleviate this hog problem through eating them (laughs) parks and wildlife you know they they've famously said we're not going to barbecue our way out of this situation but i i think that this is a great a great use of a a resource like that i mean Mm -hmm. what what situation would we would we be in if they were inedible (laughs) yeah it would be it would be a far worse place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we made a commitment at the new restaurant to only serve barrel hog, and by my estimation, we're probably going to serve uh, about three hundred of them a year, and wow. that doesn't count the other restaurants. So I think between the two, we're probably sitting at about five hundred a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which is a drop in the bucket, of course, but it is doing something. Yeah, um, and we we did. Um, in all transparency, campaign pretty heavily against the poisoning of them uh, when the warfarin poison uh, was was um, offered up. I think this is about uh, probably about ten months ago, where that became a thing, and uh, it was it was defeated. And we we had we were part of that. I was really um, resistant to the poisoning of them for a lot of reasons, not just selfishly because. It might affect our ability to serve them as food. But after doing that, I felt it was pretty incumbent on us to double down on our efforts to uh, just basically kill more of them. Right. Um, like if we're going to say, no, you can't pursue this means to kill these hogs, then we need to up 
the ante a little bit and and step up and 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 see to it that more of them are taken out. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's one way to do it in my mind. Yeah. Um, so how? Okay. So then, how do you? Like you said, it's a drop in the bucket, but it is 500 wild pigs a year or so. Um, how do you get other restaurants to get on board and then further uh, individuals to to take that initiative and maybe that responsibility that, hey, if we're going to campaign against this poison, then we need to, we still have to do something about it, you know? Right. I mean, that's a, that is a great question in that how do you get people that are already hunting to uh, consume the hogs, which I think is the responsible outcome of killing a hog, but, I mean, you definitely don't have to. Um, and then how do you get other restaurants to do it? And I, I think that, I mean, those are two different issues, and they're both very complex. The first, you know, how do you educate hunters to um, to be able to more easily use feral hogs as a food source is through education. Um, you have to be able to teach them uh, simple and effective methods that are going to work and that they're going to actually use. Um, when you when you go to somebody and be like, oh, yeah, well, you need to do this intricate cut and French the rack and then wrap it around and then tie it with twine, mm-hmm. brine it in this, and then serve it with a lingonberry glaze and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to look at you and they, they don't want to do that. Uh-huh. It's like, But instead, if you say, uh, I have a really good way to turn a, a big stinky boar into hamburgers mm-hmm. like i mean then then you've got their attention and if you can make that work for them through a couple you know simple tricks or just like preparations um then you are really going to get through to people a lot better and through our our classes you know over the years i hear a lot of questions from people i mean to to the extent where we used to do venison classes but all through that class people would be raising their hand and asking me questions about feral hogs Mm-hmm. And after that, I was like, well, you know, maybe we really don't even need to do venison classes anymore. <laughs> and we only do feral hog classes pretty much. Cool. Um, like our day classes, our day butchery classes at the restaurant are pretty much 90% feral hog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of our three-day hunting schools are are set. Um, we're, we're going after hogs um, primarily. And so I think education for existing hunters teach them how show them really simple effective quick methods you know i've always been a fan of just trying to uh put things in a familiar context for people as far as food like don't try to show them complicated things but instead uh let's let's look at making chili and meatloaf and meatballs and sausages and hamburgers and pasta sauces and things like that that people are going to eat on a Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, instead of, you know, these complicated things that they may not even attempt or they could get frustrated with. So I think if you really want them to eat it, then just make it an everyday food. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other side, you know, when you're dealing with restaurants and kind of the public consumption of barrel hogs is where it gets um, incredibly tricky because you have uh, state agencies like Parks and Wildlife that want them all dead. And not just bottom line. They just want them dead. They don't want to monetize them um, so that people have a reason to keep them around, which is part of the reason that we, we have the problem now is because people were transporting hogs from one part of the state to the other uh, so they'd have something to hunt. And now that's backfired pretty pretty blatantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Parks and Wildlife wants them dead. And so they 
creating an industry around um, making, you know, delicious little gourmet wild feral hog available isn't high on their list. Mm-hmm. And understandably, I mean, I, I, I get that perspective. Um, and then you have um, the bottleneck where they can only be trapped and brought into a licensed facility and processed um, to, to therefore be put into the food supply. And when we get them, they're, they are no cheaper than um, uh, like a really nice heritage breed domestic pig would be. I mean, they come in costing just as much, maybe even a little more, um, which a lot of people don't understand. Like, well, how is it that there's this, this pest, this agricultural nuisance that um, is, is expensive to actually get to you? And it's, well, it's the supply chain is long the trapper he puts a lot of miles on his truck he uses a lot of corn he builds a lot of traps and he goes to the processor who then buys it from him and has to have that inspector there and then he kills them and and you know there's the scanning and gutting and then they have to be transported to us and so it's just like anything else um, there's some costs involved and so it it becomes it's not the cheapest meat out there mm-hmm. um, and for restaurants to get to use it um, I mean, another issue is that they're very inconsistent, as you all, I'm sure, know. I mean, each pig, I mean, you can shoot a sow in January that's been eating acorns and has a beautiful two-inch layer of fat on it, or you could be in South Texas and shoot a boar um, in August, and those are going to be completely different animals. <laughs> yeah. Both, both edible by definition, but um, definitely not the same as far as quality goes, and so restaurants thrive on consistency i mean that's why you have restaurant chains Mm because everything's the same all the time so how do you get these hogs into the the food supply where they're they're available consistently and at a a price that's uh, manageable for a restaurant and i think and i'm it sounds like i'm leading up to the answer but i'm (laughs) stop because i don't have the answer um, i mean things that we do is you know the, the the pigs i have a very good relationship with the processor that is bringing our pigs in pigs are trapped on LCRA land, which is um, Lower Colorado River Authority land. Um, And for some reason, they're just fat and beautiful and they taste amazing. And so we get a really consistent product at the restaurant as far as those go, Mm -hmm. um, or at both restaurants. Uh, But that couldn't be said for for everyone everywhere. Um, So it makes it a little easier on us. Very rarely do we get a, um, a big boar that's got, you know, kind of that stink to it um he selects mostly mid-sized hogs for us that visually look like they have a good amount of fat um and then the the larger boars and the the smaller pigs kind of go into a grind or a trim product which we also purchase but um we're we're flexible enough to be able to deal with both of those you know the whole carcasses and and the trim for making sausage and so forth so Mm -hmm. um that's how we deal with it cool so um we didn't never really covered this, but explain the concept behind Daidui. Well, it's it's really simple. Um, you know, sometimes you know I'll be talking to somebody and they're like, "Well, that's just such a great idea," and I'm like, "That is possibly the oldest idea ever, <laughs> yeah. if not maybe the second oldest idea ever." Um, and <laughs> we uh, we only source food that's available to us from around here i don't have like a strict radius that i go with um sometimes you know for valentine's day i might buy some bowfin caviar from 
southwestern Louisiana. But for the most part, all of our produce, and I mean every bit of our produce, is going to come from central Texas. Maybe we'll go to south Texas to get some citrus. Um, you know, we'll go to north Texas and get some really nice uh, cow milk cheeses. Um, the hill country is where we get our game. We'll source fish out of the Gulf or freshwater fish. Um, we serve things like catfish and Gasparagoo, gar, things like that, which you can't really get at most restaurants. Um, but what I what I really think is the most exciting part about the concept of the restaurant is it's 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 like local food, but it's also cultural. I mean, we serve a lot of Mexican food. We serve a lot of German food. Um, we will serve Vietnamese food and Creole food. And I think that all these things culturally tie into where we are, um, as Texas. I mean, all of those cultures have, have come here and settled in and brought with them some really beautiful food traditions. And we just try to take the ingredients that are available to us, um, and apply those traditions to them. And I think also from a monetary standpoint, I really, think that uh, in this day and age where things are just so big and spread out it's nice to literally support your neighbors mm-hmm. and you yeah. know i i'm on a first name basis with almost every vendor um you know david brings me avocados and limes and uh katie brings me uh bok choy and lettuce and you know it's 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 really nice to give those people your money mm-hmm. yeah 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 dude that's that's awesome so you're telling me that I can take a bowfin or a grinnel, like what we call it, with some refinement and actually eat the eggs out of the thing. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. There's a company in, in Louisiana that takes that grinnel, um, and they make a pretty good caviar. Wow. Out of that. And we'll serve it on special occasions. That is awesome. Um, it's really awesome. There's so many little things like that yeah. out there. That make the food exciting. You know, like I just mentioned gar. I mean, people are just like, it's trash fish. And I'll be like, why? Why is it trash fish? Yeah. Who decided that? Oh, what do they eat that's so bad? I mean, they eat fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you know, we eat fish. Like, it's, they're, <laughs> they're actually, you know what they are is they're, t- they're hard to clean. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they've developed a reputation. Uh-huh. Well, and things like that. Or, oh, wild boar, is that edible? Yes, it's edible. It's very edible. In fact, it's, some of the best meat I've ever had has come off of feral pigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of little things just floating around out there. I mean, we live in a very amazing part of the world in that there's, I mean, a semi-arid desert to the west. There is uh, ocean to the east, to the north. There's these rolling blackland prairies. And there's this, to the south, it's just this kind of, you know, red dirt and, and giant deer and, and olives growing down there. And, lemons and papayas and avocados and so if you go three hours in any direction you're you're in a different part of the world mm-hmm. and so it's it's pretty magic here actually oh, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's rough you know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's cool and, and that's kind of like an interesting concept because people like to talk so uh i guess state-based when they talk about Many different things. And you know, we live in the hunting world a lot. So people talk about, oh, down in Texas, it's easier. Oh, down in Texas, the deer are big. But, you know, it's not that. It's sub-regional. You know, like every little part yeah. of our state does something really good, and it has some things it lacks. But that's kind of the cool part about, I guess, being located, especially where you are in central Texas, where you can kind of, like you said, go all directions and get all kinds of things. Another thing that we have that's kind of neat is the fact that, like, we're kind of this uh, buffer state of, like, 
urban, but also very wild. So there's a lot of, I guess you could say like, uh, native things to eat like deer turkey quail things like that and then you also have like the wild boar or the axis or uh yes. you know largemouth bass that i mean right besides like a guadalupe there's not a you know largemouths are technically an invasive you know so you have all these different things that kind of come together to kind of culminate as like a really uh great place to be a chef you know right so uh are you suggesting we should eat all the largemouth bass uh not all i would like to have a sustainable breeding population but let me tell you something man uh we hit the creeks you know in the spring for crappie and yeah. i'm just as happy when i bring in a 14 inch bass as i am a 14 inch crappie because they are just they're both delicious you know there's yes. nothing wrong with a largemouth at all and i'm not going to no. eat, eat a you know six pound rusty old male that's seen seen 10 spawns you know like it's not really going to be my number one fish but uh fish are fish for the most part you know that if yeah. you if you do them right they're all tasty so there's something i feel like you probably encounter quite often uh I guess in your personal life and in the restaurants too. And that's like, uh, the mental block against, uh, certain species or a certain cut or something like that. And let me give you a, for instance, for instance, uh, about, I don't know, it's two or three days ago. Uh, we made a dinner strictly of the hearts of servants. So, uh, we had some, uh, Midwest whitetail buck, some hill country does and an elk heart that we, we, uh, put out on the grill and my wife who is lovely uh i love her very much <laughs> she, and she'll eat you know ground meat from pretty much anything but she just would not touch those hearts and i know that especially since you deal in, in such uh i guess interesting different varieties of of foods at your restaurants that you have to have people come through the door who are really apprehensive to eat some things so what has been your best approach that you found to kind of overcome those mental blocks and show people that hey all of this is food if done right, and all, right. it's it's just like it's all in your head that you won't eat it. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely, and I think that you, what you're touching on a, a very good subject there, and that when I mean, you're using a resource, you should use all the resource, and that includes the heart. Mm-hmm. I will make a quick point. Heart is a muscle, just like the tenderloin is. Yes. And flavor-wise, it's just, I mean, a little more iron flavor, but I love heart. Me too, yes. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and this this will this answer will loop back to what I was saying earlier with putting things in context. And for a long time, you know, we would maybe take a fresh venison liver and saute it up and serve it to people, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's okay. I can do a couple bites of that." Uh, but then uh, we found other ways to present all those things. And there's there's one word that will really you know encompass all of that, and that word is boudin. <laughs> so if you if you take uh we've i think the last boudin we made we used a coot oh um, cool like the gizzards the coot the coot gizzards uh-huh. and um venison liver and feral hog liver and some feral hog trim and made it i mean it's boudin it's great mm-hmm. as you know so something like that i mean just for starters where you can be like, okay, here, we're going to take the heart, the liver, and the kidneys out of this deer, and we're going to cook it with a bunch of peppers and some onion and uh, some really nice fatty barrel hog shoulder. And we're going to grind it all. It's going to look terrible. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to mix it with rice. And then, you know, and then I think the, the, the best way to do that is to fry it, you know, boot animals. 
Mm-hmm. And we fry it up and everybody says, this is amazing. This is great. And I'm like, well, this is the only thing you really ever need to do with those. I mean, if that's, if that's all I'm going to get you to do, then that's great. You know, yeah. just this, you know, and, and one animal's worth of heart, liver, kidney will make an eight pound batch of boudin, you know, it'll, mm-hmm. they're a huge party or several dinners or whatever. So I think that, you know, again, put it in context and don't challenge people too much. Just show them that it can be done and try to get them outside of their food prejudices. Um, you know, like I said, you know, at the restaurant, we'll serve some freshwater fish and that's hardly ever done. You know, people mm-hmm. don't, first off, they don't know what a Gasper goo is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, then we get to have that conversation with them. And then a lot of times the people that do know what a Gasper goo is tell you it's inedible. Mm-hmm. And that's invariably followed up with me saying, well, have you ever tried it? And then they say, well, no. <laughs> so how do you know if, if it's inedible? And you can loop that back to feral hogs as well. Yeah. Someone once yeah. told me you can't eat a feral hog if it weighs over 120 pounds. <laughs> so 119, fine. 121, <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, where where did that come from? And so much of that, or an audad. Audad's inedible. Mm-hmm. Not true. Very edible. In fact, good. In fact, great if prepared correctly, if you do the right things. Oh, it's tough. Well, you didn't cook it long enough. Um, things like that. Yeah. So I think education, um, more having conversations and getting people out of there. Uh, the only thing that's good is backstrap and that, you know, wild ducks don't taste good or whatever. I mean, it's, there's, there's just misconceptions and the way that people handle uh, game meats or prepare them might not always be in their best interest. Yeah, sure. And I'd like to touch on that, but I'm going to back you up just a bit because I, I went to school in College Station, and that's where I learned the term Gasper Goo. Before that, we always called them freshwater drum. That's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny to me because I heard that too, like, oh, don't eat that, you know, or like, uh, you know, if you can find somebody to give it to, do it, or, or what have you. But then you had three hours south and you catch a small black drum at the coast and it's delicious you'll find it on plates on menus at restaurants you know and they're Mm -hmm. like literally the so basically the same that it's 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 crazy the fact that they're separate species you know like they're just almost the same exact fish and it's funny how people kind of get that that species block in there too and i've seen that more often like for instance uh uh there are members of my family that will eat deer meat but if you grind up a, a hog and try to present it as a hog burger oh no i can't do it because it's hog you know and it's like it's how is it different i don't understand maybe maybe people like that have had like a one bad experience with uh you know something and then it kind of ruins them forever but i think that's what's cool about how you're doing like the the uh, i guess uh total outdoorsman classes i get what do you call those classes where you teach them how to it's- hunt and cook it's we call them hunting schools. Hunting schools, okay. And when you know, like when you do the hunting school, and like you really can facilitate where people don't have that bad experience. Like, hey, yes, you did shoot a two hundred and twenty pound boar, but if you treat it right, then it can still taste good. And I think that oftentimes people, uh, and I kind of fall into this just a touch. I'll just be honest. Like, there's a gradient scale of, uh, you know something that's worth harvesting because it it tastes good enough to prepare but i don't want to deal with an extensive preparation and mm-hmm. you know because you get kind of get to that point where it's like okay 
yeah, I could go shoot, you know, a soft shell turtle and with some cleaning and some different things, it could be tasty. But at the same time, I can go out here and shoot a morning dove and it's a whole lot easier to cook. You know what I'm saying? So like, uh, I guess, uh, where I'm going with this is like, how extensive do these hunting schools get that you do? And like, I guess how exotic do you go with the different things you teach people to cook and clean? Well, we don't get that exotic unless we feel like they want to know that. Yeah. And I think that's why it's, we, we each, we limit it to about six or eight people per trip. And so I'm in there, I'm sitting in the blind with them. I'm talking to them all weekend and we're just getting a feel of what they want to know. And then when we start up the class and we typically will butcher three animals and then cook those for, or well, not all of them, but cook that for dinner that night and, you know, 15 different preparations. And I'll, I'll let them guide me. I'll be, I'll say, well, what, what is it that your family is going to eat? Or what are you most curious about? Or what have you been told you can't eat off of a deer? Oh, you can't eat the ribs. Oh yeah. Well, let's do this then. Let's try this out. Oh, you know, you can't eat it raw. Oh yeah. Well, we're gonna, you know, <laughs> we're, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to do that just because you told me I couldn't. Um, and things like that. Or, you know, I remember one time we were down in Matagorda and we had some fishing guides sitting around and we were serving just course after course of fish and we served them some fried fish, you know, which is, I think, one of the finest foods in the world, <laughs> just fried fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, one of them was like, this is the best fried fish I've ever had. And I was like, well, I'm glad you said that because that's gaff top. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I really enjoy that. I would prefer to eat gaff top over trout. Really? Um, yeah. I think that they're really, I mean, I, I know about the slime. No, but you don't have to point the slime out. I know about <laughs> it. Uh, but flavor wise, I think they're amazing. I think they have great texture and great flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and if you think about it this way, it's like, you know, you go out, you're, you're standing in the bay, you're throwing a jig and all of a sudden you hook this big fish and it fights like crazy. It's an eight pound fish. Then you get it up and you see it's a gaff top and you're disappointed. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? What, what about that whole experience was disappointing? I'm looking at it thinking, no, this is amazing. You know, now <laughs> I have an eight pound gaff top that I get to eat, you know, and I can, I can still potentially catch three reds and some trout, maybe a flounder or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, I, I'm like, this is a, this is an amazing bonus. And, you know, I, I, I understand that that's going to slime up your cooler and all that, but worth it to me, <laughs> yeah. uh, but to be so species specific about things, about where the enjoyment comes from or what you can eat, I think is a, has, has, has gone, it's gone overboard. You know, it's like, we've gone too far with it. And, and what is the point of us going out there into the woods or, you know, the bay or on a Creek? And if we're not, um, you know, they're catching delicious food. And same with a, a Gasper. You know, we, we were running a trot line, and the last fish on the last hook was this nice four or five pound Gasper. And this was um, back in December, and, and we were all real happy. And we fried that thing up for breakfast the next day, and it was good. Mm. Ooh, fried fish for breakfast sounds like one of the best yeah. things I've ever done, <laughs> yeah. that, especially if it's fresh. Oh, oh yeah. No. Oh. Yeah. Fried that's... bacon grease. Oh man, oh, with bacon. See, yes, Jesse, you, you, have, yeah. you talk my language, man. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's go back to your restaurant stuff a little bit here. Uh, you know, I understand you serve the wild boar, and uh, because of you know the I guess criminalization of market hunting, you can't really have any native North American game animals on on the menu, right? So you right, all of all of the deer are axes, fallow, psyca, 
yeah. elk that are either escapees or being culled off of game ranches. Yeah, yeah, delicious animals nonetheless. Actually, yeah. Axis is, uh, next to elk, Axis is probably my most favorite thing that I've eaten. Absolutely. By far. So, uh, but it's still like not the true experience of going out and shooting one of, uh, you know, a true wild animal yourself. It's still, you know, like you said, it, it's 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 farm-raised game animals or game meat. Um, so uh, do you actively kind of uh, promote the idea that, like, hey, this this is, is a, a reasonable facsimile, but it's not the real thing, and to do the real thing, you need to go out and do it yourself, or is, do you kind of keep those two worlds separate from your restaurant and then from the hunting schools? Right. I mean, there's a lot of misperceptions about that. I mean, some yeah. people think that, you know, in the morning I get a call from a sous chef. They're like, yeah, we need a, a hog and three catfish. And like, I just like, I'll put on my boots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can't happen that way legally. But, yeah. um, you know, I think with as far as the hogs go, I mean, that's definitely that's that is exactly what you're getting out in the wild. Uh-huh. Um, sure. And all of the fish we get, like we don't serve any farm raised catfish. When we do serve catfish, we serve wild catfish. That's cool. Caught by some of the last trot liners, uh, commercial trot liners out there, um, in East Texas. And, um, but with the deer, you know, it is, it is a little different. And, um, we've had people challenge us and say like, Oh, it's illegal to serve venison. I'm like, yeah. no, it's not, not this kind, but, yeah. But I, I like that it started a conversation. Sure. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting them off of kind of your classic venison farms either. They're coming off of these ranches, and they're they're they catch them with net guns, and they mm-hmm. catch them in traps, and uh, so they are at least from a diet standpoint, pretty much living in the wild. Yeah. Um, they're out there in the scrub, which is oh, important cool. to me also. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but yeah, we do have to to have that conversation a lot but in the end if someone's choosing to cull something like that off their ranch or it's an escapee that's competing with a with a native whitetail mm-hmm. again we are serving a dual purpose with that mm-hmm. yeah sure so uh since you talked about you know like it's important for you to to i guess have free ranging uh meat and game on, on your on your plates there at the restaurant do you feel that um animals who maybe die a violent death. So like say you have a whitetail or a psycho or, or what have you that uh, is shot with an arrow or, or a bullet with an ethical shot. They don't really know what happened and they expire and bleed out as opposed to uh, something that comes from a game farm or say beef at a finishing cattle lot, you know, grain finished or, or what have you. Do you feel that that there's uh, kind of a connection to taste and I guess uh, – Platability with animals like that, not so much just the fact that like some people like the taste of grain-fed stuff better versus grass-fed or what have right. you, but like the actual way the animal lives and dies. Do you feel like that that kind of reflects into how it's it it can be prepared? Absolutely, and I, I think that there's there's no denying that. I'll give you one anecdotal um, uh, example of that, and that we were um, we had a film crew come in. And uh, I was I was taking this guy on his first hunt ever, and he needed to kill a pig, and we really needed to get a pig on the ground any any way we could. So um, I put some snares out on uh, crossings under the fence where I, I knew pigs to be crossing, just to kind of um, you know double up. Mm-hmm. And then I went and sat with him in a blind, and he shot a probably about eighty pound sow. Uh, out of the blind, rolled it, died immediately. 
and then we went and checked the snares and there was about an 80 pound snare up 80 pound south excuse me in one of the snares um we took him back i mean we killed her immediately upon getting there took him back butchered them both uh the one that he had shot was great tasted really nice um the one that we caught in the snare was inedible Mm, Um, and you know if you you can talk to you know veterinarians or you know anybody that understands physiology and it it is uh, that stress that lactic acid all those things that build up and they will exacerbate that that gamey flavor that you find in game meats and make them um um, pretty bad and a lot of times too in a class you know when we're talking about eating big boars which is uh, i mean I, I have this conversation so much and i say eat them all try them you know in fact some of the best feral hog i've ever had came off of 150 pound plus boars um, they can be very good uh you know the guy in a class one time and he said yeah we we shot a you know i don't can't remember a big 250 whatever a uh, pound boar and he said, yeah, it was actually really good. And I, and I said, well, when you shot it, what happened? He said, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, did it run or did it drop? And he said, oh, we shot it in the air and it just dropped. And I'm like, well, there's, you know, I think that there could be something to that. You mm-hmm. know, if, if, if they run for 30 seconds and that's 30 seconds of stress, um, things like that do come into play. Um, I, you know, and I also think, you know, one time I was sitting on a panel, um, it was at South by Southwest and I was kind of confronted about somebody about hunting. And like you were just saying, um, you know, there's, there's different ways animals can die. There's, there's kind of like three ways. One is they can go to a slaughterhouse if they're a domesticated animal mm-hmm. and they wait in line. Um, there's the smell of death. They, they, they know what's happening, you know, and whether it's a cow who might have a restricted understanding of what's going on or, or, you know, a smarter animal, like a, you know, a pig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can die in the wild and no animal ever goes and lays down in a, in a meadow full of little daffodils and falls asleep and walks into the light. Mm-hmm. You know, that it never happens that way. They're going to, the fire ants, the coyotes are going to get them first. Yeah. Mm-hmm or something and it's and i don't i don't in the wild i don't think it ever is a peaceful way to die mm-hmm. or there's the third option and that's you know an animal sticks its head out it walks into that meadow boom and it dies mm-hmm. and you know for people that are opposed to hunting especially i i say well if you if you're personifying animals or you're trying to um you know make a case for the best death which of those three do you choose and i i think it would be the quick death in your natural environment right um Mm -hmm. with as little stress as possible Mm -hmm. now you know you're also gonna sometimes there's a bad shot and the animal may run and you have to track it but i think that's the uh you you have to incorporate that into hunting as things go wrong in the wild and that that could be a factor but i think at the end of the day um you know hunting an animal is the best way for everyone for you to eat it and for the animal to die as well Mm -hmm. um so i'm going to kind of head a little bit different direction here maybe but um how much foraging have you done um a little bit um you know we forage you know things like wild chilies i found some i found some dried up uh chiltepin 
peppers yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, mushrooms here and there, especially, you know, our, our mushroom seasons are really hit or miss here. But, I mean, some years it's amazing. We'll find morels and chanterelles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like uh, cactus fruit, mm-hmm. um, you know, agarita. And then, you know, I have a seven-year-old daughter, so, I mean, things like dewberries oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, are just a given, you know, and that's just that's just good fun. And, you know, that's like you can kind of incorporate a little bit of crappie fishing and dewberry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, if it's there, for sure. And I, I love the idea of eating, you know, wild plants. Or, you know, I was talking yesterday also about the white bass run in that it's there's always wild onions coming up where you're catching white bass in the same, I don't know if it's photo period or, or lunar phase or temperatures or, or whatever it is that, but if there are wild onions growing, then there's probably white bass spawning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so the wild onions, I just kind of curious, um, you know, that's, you, you tend to smell them. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like, um, if you smell something that smells like an onion, can you go wrong eating it as far as you've seen? Uh, you can't go wrong. That's what I've, I've heard is that, um, if it has that oniony smell, then it is definitely edible. It's not going to be, um, I can't remember what the, uh, uh, I mean, it is an, an edible allium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So the, I, I, you mentioned the white bass earlier and this kind of piqued my interest. Um, what's your, what's your favorite way of doing those? Cause those are pretty readily available across the state. I feel like, Oh yeah. Well, you guys are close to the Sabine out there too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Where, I mean, wow. You know, you catch a 50 pound limit mm-hmm. of white bass, you know, there's, yeah, I, I, I love white bass. Um, I, I am not often someone to cut the bloodline out of a fish, but I do like to do that on white bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in all honesty, I'm going to fry them, yeah. um, and maybe chop up some, you know, maybe cook those onions and chop those up and fold them into mayonnaise with some, you know, maybe a little bit of fresh herb or something and serve it with that. Um, you know, something real simple. Um, white bass is, is great. I mean, I love catching them. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorites. We, I was looking at my pictures from last year and I, I caught the first males on february 8th of last year which Ooh, is that's early yeah that's we a, were getting into limits on february 22nd last year man um, so it's time yep, i gotta yep. like reset yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay all right <laughs> dust that stuff off and get ready to that's right hike. Yeah, you know, and that's you know. a that's a good fly rod quarry for us. Tyler and I have just caught the fly rod bug in the last couple of years. Oh yeah, that's just what we love to do. And you know, mm-hmm. those shallow water creeks, and you know, it's 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 pretty easy when you can throw a size twelve clouser or something and just rip white bass all day. And, yeah, or we call right. them sand bass, but you know, same thing. Yeah. But uh, and then really, I didn't grow up targeting them much in the spring up here as much as we did in the summer when they get the big schools out in the lakes, right. you know, and chasing right. them and you're fishing them like they're bonita or tuna or something, you know, yeah. offshore. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Too. It's yeah. enjoyable. And that kind of, I guess, leads me into uh, another question for, I guess, uh, culinary options. Let's just call it that way. So um, we, as humans, oftentimes think of herbivores as food, right? Like everybody knows that you see a cow and it's food. It's eating grass. It's it's food. And uh, 
then hogs would be omnivore. Uh, some people eat things like coons, which I, I, I like coon, but, you know, it's not a common thing. But a, a true carnivore, when you're talking land animals, is, is not very widely accepted as, like, food. Like, and, and I have a mental block against it. Like, I just do not want to eat a coyote. You know, it's not, it's not, in, my, right. it's not in my list. But when you switch over to fish, it's, I mean, car, the, the carnivorous fish are really what you end up eating. People don't really want to eat things like carp who are omnivores or, or you right. know, grass carp or things like that. So, uh I guess why is that, and then have you dabbled into the whole, uh, I guess, mammal or land animal uh, carnivore side of things? Um, you know, I don't know why that is. I've definitely thought about that because it is, it is as you stated, it's just the reverse. Yeah. I've tried carp before. Um, you know, it's fine. Definitely not on the top of the list. It doesn't yeah. taste as good as the carnivorous fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as, you know, eating, um, you know, predators and, you know, top, apex animals like that i've i've not uh i don't have a clear answer for you on that either i've not um eaten them i also don't shoot them um so that's one thing and it you know i i recently heard that you know somebody was handing out bobcat jerky and that it was everybody's favorite Mm -hmm. well that's great i mean you killed a bobcat and you made jerky good yeah Mm um i i mean the way that i hunting fish is just like i i i like to shoot what i like to eat and so most of the time it's it's hogs and ducks and crappie mm-hmm. and white bats and catfish that right there makes up 90 percent of oh and deer yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's 90 percent of what i eat so mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't really feel the need to get exotic or or even in and dabble in that stuff but you know and i i mean it's kind of i mean i, I never want to be judgy i mean about what you're shooting if you need to control coyotes on your property then you you should do so mm-hmm. but um i uh i don't ever have to deal with that yeah and i coyote and i wish it well yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like it i like that take man because i feel like a lot of times people uh try to get weird for the sake of being weird and i'm sure you get that because you live in austin right that's like your slogan <laughs> <laughs> keep it yeah. weird but uh yeah. I, I just I'm, I like to try new things with the, the allure that, like, the new things will taste good. But, like, if I try something and I, I don't like it or it's not that great, I'm not going to continue to do it. And then I'm, there's some things I just don't desire to eat. Like, I don't want to, like, eat something weird like, you know, oh, these coyote eyeballs are delicious. You know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. right. You know, like, <laughs> okay, so, but what's the point? You, you know, you kind of get to that point where uh, I don't ever want to treat my food as a novelty. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Like I, 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 agree I want to like respect the game that I take, and I want to eat the parts that uh, are you know edible, and uh, eat the game that is considered edible or that I care to to eat. And I'm not going to uh, shoot something without a purpose, like you were saying earlier. But at the same time, like I don't want to like go out and try to find like the weirdest thing I can shoot just so I can eat it. And I don't I, like you said not to get too judgy. I'm sure there's people that do enjoy coyote eyeballs, but it's just not going to be me. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? But uh, uh, I don't know. It's just it it it's weird to see those trends, and I think that it's so much more relatable to the common person. Kind of like what you were saying way back at the beginning. Like uh, instead of showing you how to like take this you know this deer bladder and turn it into you know some sort of a Italian delicacy, let, like hey, let's just show you how to take these ribs and make them something you eat on Tuesday, right? Like yeah. the, you, you, you lose people when you start getting too weird or too, or too 
out there. I guess you'll gain a few that really like the weird stuff. But you know, for for well, the common purpose, plenty of that. there's plenty of that out there. Yeah, right. I'll also say that you know it's very very grounding to have a kid. Eating <laughs> yes. You know, it's, she. My daughter's not exactly picky, but when it comes to the day-to-day stuff I'm going to make, it, it is a little bit limiting. And mm-hmm. it also affects the way that I cut a deer or a hog. Um, you know, now most of it will go into a, into ground or breakfast sausage or, you know, make hot dogs out of venison, things like that. Yeah. And uh, that that is also, and that's just, that's real world application. That's when you take everything else out of it. You know, all the romance and like, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be so impressive. But that's when you're looking at that deer or that hog and you're like, I need to make food for the family. What are they going to eat? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's how that's how I treat it a lot of times, too. Um, you know, kind of on this subject, um, your book is of the same same concepts um, and the the overall concept is pretty interesting to me um you took a photographer on several hunts i believe is that correct yes can you kind of run through how you got the idea and and uh and what the book is and and, i mean do a plug for yourself too you know (laughs) feel free to do that well yeah i mean the book you know it came out um uh, almost uh, almost six years ago now and so, um, you know, definitely learned a lot since, but the basic idea behind it was, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I came to hunting later on in life and it was, it was all these things that I had learned in applications and coming at it as a novice, how to, how to clean an animal, how to butcher that animal and how to cook it most effectively. And I didn't really see a lot on the marketplace, um, like that, you know, since that time you've, there's been kind of a prol- proliferation of really good quality cookbooks. I mean, Hank Shaw writes amazing books. Steven Ranella has come out with a series of very, um, like just comprehensive books, um, on, on game and cleaning and cooking and these things. So, um, at the time I wanted something that was, uh, very like visually, uh, helpful where Mm -hmm. it would, it would show you step-by-step. This is how you scan a squirrel or how you half shell a black drum or, or how you um, break down a hog and, you know, how to kind of cut the ribs or the chops and and this and that. And and then some nice, simple recipes. Um, I was lucky enough to work with um, a very talented photographer who's really patient and good at um, being quiet (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we're also, we're working on a, uh, another book now. Awesome. Um, we're, we're, and this one is, I mean, it's no surprise, but this one, this next one is going to be dedicated only to feral hogs. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, I was going to ask you about that actually. Cause I, I, um, I'd read, I think on your website or so, something that you were, you guys were trying to decide on a concept. Yeah. And I mean, it's the thing that people ask about. Um, it's the, it's the proverbial elephant in the room and they, uh, so that's, you know, I, I, I love the educational aspect. So we're, we decided to tackle that, um, because and I think that it, it would just be useful, a field guide, you know, mm-hmm. this is what to do with them. But the book, I mean, originally, uh, we set out to just do this really simple, um, not, um, high level expertise, uh, cookbook and guide and just like nice little stories in there i think people enjoy reading quick little i know i enjoy reading quick 
short stories about hunting and fishing. You know, I could, I mean, I don't know what our time limit is today, but I could sit here and talk to you guys for hours. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I love, I love the story aspect of it and, and, and talking about, you know, like, Oh, there's this time five years ago, it was raining and the rain stopped, and fish, whatever, you know, it's just, Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of a book like that, um, that was real and, uh, it was, it was moderately successful and, um, I'm really glad that we put that work into it and it was mm-hmm. really fun and it's, and we still get people, um, that, that appreciate that book. And that means a lot to me, mm-hmm. you know, they come and they're like, yeah, I got blood all over my book. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, <right> cool. <laughs> that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And, and we, uh, we definitely need to do a part two one of these days and where we can sit down and maybe tell some stories there at the restaurant yeah. or something. I think that would be, that'd be a lot of fun. Sorry. We don't make it down to Austin that often, but when we do, we're coming to see you. No, <laughs> don't that. I think more importantly, I need to come see you. Hey you're, man, you're in the heart of it out there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I love yep. that part of the world. Hey mm-hmm. dude, have you ever, uh, uh, trot lined and pulled up a big flathead or Appaloosa catfish? You know, we run, I, first off, I don't have a boat. So yeah. we, we wade, we'll put on waders and run trot lines and we'll, we'll catch some blue cats here and there, but yeah. not, I've, I've caught a couple yellow cats, but nothing, nothing huge. Yeah. Well, they, uh, you've probably heard about them some and, and they have a lot more, uh, I guess, oil or fat to them. And, mm-hmm. uh, but if done right, we did, uh, well, I grew up doing Cajun smoked Appaloosa, uh, fillets and mm-hmm. man, it was just, <laughs> it's one of my greatest meals. It's just something I love. So uh, anyways, uh, if you're free around May, come up here and join us and we'll, we'll do a little bit of that and a bunch of other things. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> That'd yeah. be awesome. But, um, uh, anyways, uh. I feel like that you've got a great thing going here, man, with with the educating people on what really is food and what, what you know where food comes from and how you can go out and uh, get to it yourself and turn uh, these wild, organic, free, uh, happy animals into food that you can feed your family and and and, and be healthy with. Um, but with that being said. It's it's not a lot of good f- to have those animals on the landscape if there's no access, and this is going to be kind of like a little I guess public lands plug here. Um, I can imagine that you know through these uh, hunting schools that, that you do that 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 question comes up from time to time on you know uh, these people who are trying to get introduced to hunting, but then they they see the price of a deer lease is fifteen hundred dollars a year, and when you start doing a little math and uh chickens two dollars a pound at the grocery store like it gets pretty tough to want to go and lease a place so uh i guess my first question is that do you talk much about the public land stuff with with people who are taking these classes and people that you encounter and then uh i guess uh how do you feel about uh you know hunters access and where we're at with that nowadays and where do we where do we need to be headed especially on a state level yeah that is, I mean, that is an exceptional question, and we do address that constantly. So, you have a new hunter come to a class, and you know they went to the academy and they bought the rifle, they bought the the game winner uh, camo jacket. They're ready <laughs> yeah. to go. Oh yeah, they, yeah. Well, I own several. To be clear. <laughs> uh, so, and then they they come out to the ranch where they you know they pay a pretty high amount to come with us for this weekend and, and kind of get the crash course on everything. And then at the end of it, they're like, so what's next? And I'm like, well, yeah, that is, that's a really good question. We live in a state that's on 97, 98% privately owned. Um, and so you do have a little bit of an uphill battle, but the first thing I do is refer them to the, uh, 
annual public hunting permit mm -hmm. with the uh, parks and wildlife, which mm -hmm. I think just like anything else, um, you'll get out of that what you put in. If you're willing to hike more and just be more tenacious than other hunters, then you can potentially get more out of public lands. Mm -hmm. um, I also, you know, what has worked for me personally is making friends with farmers. Now, I'm, I make friends with farmers a lot because I spend <laughs> a lot of money with them. <laughs> yeah. But I... The second method, I was like, you know what you need to start doing? First off, you need to go to the farmer's market because that's where the best produce is at. Mm -hmm. And also, that's the people you need to support. Um, most of the people that you're buying produce from at the farmer's market have a hog problem. Mm -hmm. Most of them do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying, you know, on the first date when you go up there and buy that first head of cauliflower and a cabbage that you need to ask if you can come out on their land. But I'm saying maybe after six months in conversation when you hear them saying, yeah, the hogs got into that South pasture and just tore up all my onions yesterday. That's when you can step in and be like, what about, uh, me coming out and sitting there, you know, one night this week and trying to, you know, keep them out of there. And a lot of times the answer is going to be like, sure. Um, I think there's other ways to go about it, but public hunting, um, is probably the most reliable. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I also would like to, you know, plug Parks and Wildlife and Texas Wildlife Association um, and, you know, in their efforts uh, for education and um, keeping these uh, accessible, keeping these resources as accessible as they possibly can be. Um, I get to participate in a, a mentored hunt at Inks Lake every year, and it's That's it's cool. a lot of fun. We'll guide first time hunters on uh, they'll we'll go shoot deer and then show them how to clean and butcher and make sausage and we cook a couple meals for them and it's really rewarding but you know when it comes down to it that's eight or ten people a year that we're getting in there and getting them that opportunity when there's a lot more um, and I think it's a fine balance too because you know your private landowners in Texas are acting as stewards of said land and keeping it uh, I mean, generally in, in this, you know, nice wild condition. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, same with the hog problem. I don't know what the, the overall overarching answer is going to be to keep the general public, um, having access to hunting without, you know, degrading the land and the hunting. But, um, I would like to, you know, continue to work towards it where we, people can get those opportunities. And I think the start is, uh, with, with, public lands you know going through parks and wildlife mm -hmm. yeah for sure we had um kc and i spent a lot of time on public lands and uh we had we had opportunities to shoot deer this year and we're you know we we like to shoot we like to not scare too many deer out of an area that we may have a pretty decent buck in sometimes um so we'll pass some does you know early in the season and such but uh, even still, you know, the deer hunting can be hard on some of these public properties. And But the one thing that we're going to continue circling back to, obviously, is that we had, like, hogs for until, like, December. We had hogs every time we went out to public land. We had, we were within bow range of hogs, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that opportunity, yeah, you may not be able to shoot a deer out there on public land, but there are plenty of places with hogs out there that you can go on public land and shoot, you know, yeah. as many as you want just about. So yeah. that's a good thing. 
Yeah, I think, and most new hunters either don't care or shouldn't care that much whether they're shooting a deer or a hog. Yeah. Just get out there and get that experience. And, exactly. And keep that available to them. And I think it's just, it's really important to keep parks and wildlife in a position where they can maintain public access to land. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. They're doing good things. Um, Jesse, I appreciate this a lot, man. We This has been one of my most anticipated podcast interviews that I have had and uh, I've been wanting to do this for several months now even though uh, you and I only have a few weeks of correspondence but uh, um, man I appreciate your time and and uh, I guess would open it up to kind of allow you to um, plug what you got going on where can people buy the book and and how can they find the restaurant and maybe take a course uh, in hunting or butchering. Oh, well, sure. Well, first off, I'm um, thank you for the opportunity of being on the podcast. It's, I mean, a real pleasure talking to you guys. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you to that uh, invitation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, um, we're for real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the book uh, probably the most uh, easy way to get it is off of Amazon. It's called A Field, uh, one word, A Chef's Guide to Cooking and Preparing Wild Game and Fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, available through there. You can also buy it at um, the restaurant. We're on uh, Manor Road here in Austin, and then the the Taqueria, which we just opened about three weeks ago. That's the one that is only serving uh, feral hog and venison. No beef, no domestic pork. Cool. Um, and uh, we're downtown, uh, in the heart of downtown Austin, mm-hmm. uh, serving tacos to suits all day. And, uh, <laughs> You can get the book there too, um, and then uh, the the classes we offer are under a third branch of the business. It's called the New School of Traditional Cookery, and it is uh, found on our website, the Daidue website, spelled D A I D U E, and it has a lot of information on there about different types of classes. We do open enrollment public classes that anybody can come to, and we'll put together a group. Uh, we do a lot of private classes where a group will have us out to their ranch or uh, down to the coast where we'll put together a team of guides. You know, we'll go flounder gigging, we'll go bay fishing, um, or we can bring a group out to a ranch that we partner with. And that's the ones where we are demonstrating, you know, how to, you know, skin, gut, uh, clean, butcher, cook animals. And we, we call it like an immersive cooking process. And then, if we're hunting pigs, we're going to only eat feral hog for three days. That's <laughs> okay. all breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's what we're going to have. We're going to present everything that we're doing in context, uh, in real time. And then if we're down at the coast, you're going to eat fish for breakfast, um, lunch, and dinner also. So we'll <laughs> run crab traps and we'll gig flounder. And, um, and uh, we are, you know, just try to educate on as many things as you want to learn about it's you know we've had groups say oh hey we really want to focus on sausage sure thing we'll spend five hours on sausage mm-hmm. um things like that so that's the new school of traditional cookery uh website's got lots of press on there we've taken a lot of uh a lot of friends from up north <laughs> yeah <laughs> from new york yep. and so forth on hunts and uh uh, you know, they've written about it. You know, we've been in Texas Monthly, Wall Street Journal. Um, we did a video for Yeti um, and a, a lot of other things. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, it's uh, I, I love my job. You know, I get to go to the King Ranch in about two weeks and take a group of guys. They're uh, they're down there shooting Nilgai. Cool. And I'm going to teach them how to butcher Nilgai. 
and uh, basically just hang out on the King Ranch for three days. <laughs> That's not a bad life. Cooking and uh, cutting nil guy for these guys. So. <laughs> That's pretty posh. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fun. It's uh, it's a good job. So. Cool. Well, that's, that's what we do. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make sure and link to all that in the podcast uh, notes. So if you're listening, make sure and look underneath the podcast in these notes, and you can find any of that. And uh, again, Jesse, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Cool. No yeah, problem, we'll, dude. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, after that, I am ready to go to Gorditas. Starving. Where are you going? To to my vehicle. Dadgummit. I've got Elkhart. In the vehicle. Do you? Yes. Ooh. I got an Elkhart salad. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Eating healthy. Mm-hmm. Dang, and you walked a bunch on public land this this week. So I know it, dude. This weekend. Yeah. You're going to be in good shape. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> you look tired, man. I am a little bit. I yeah. actually had a really good night's sleep last night, but the night before, did not get a lot of sleep. Sometimes, yeah. you know, whenever your, uh, your family world and then your hunting world meet, and the family world's the night before the hunting world starts the next morning, Four hours of sleep. It's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. But, ah, well, well, that's part of it. It's yeah. Fun, what makes it fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of those things you got to get enough sleep to feel good and function well. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the same time, you don't want to sleep your life away. You that's know? right, man. So. You can sleep when you did. Yep. But, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but, man, I, I, uh, I'm i pretty pumped about, uh, I guess, kind of the one of the cool things about the off-season is we really get to expand uh, – are cooking and do some fun stuff and it's pretty pretty inspirational I'm talking to jesse and i like his like kind of down home feel yeah it's yes yeah i do too man i really appreciate that because you know it really does resonate with me um i like to cook mm-hmm. wild game a lot and you mm-hmm. do too but i still am not gonna like we were saying like wrap up something in the bladder and like yeah. cook it you know with some kind of what do you say, lingberry sauce yeah. or something, you know, like I'm, these are things that I'm not going to do, you know, I, all the time I'll see, I have several recipe books for wild game and there's like some ingredient in there. It's like, you can get this at the Asian market. And I'm like, the closest Asian market to me is like an hour and a half away. So yeah. I'm probably not going up to the Asian market to get this. I want to be able to get at the Walmart. Yes. It has to be at the Walmarts. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, I, uh, I can appreciate that for sure. And um, I'm about to appreciate some down-home Mexican food cooking mm. right now. So, that's, I mean, that's all I got to say, I think. You got anything else? <laughs> that's all I got, man. All right. So, make sure, uh, you know, if you enjoy what you're hearing, give us a review either on Facebook or iTunes. And we will see you soon. God bless you guys. Love you. And uh, remember, this is your element. Living it. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com 
It is where the adventure begins.